from this, what we learn from this is, is the book actually isn't scary if you come at it from the understanding of the Gospels, right? Remember, this is a, um, a continuation in some ways of the Gospel. You have the incarnation of Christ, you have the humiliation, and then you have the exaltation and the ascension. And this is really teaching us what does the church, uh, what is the picture of the church in glory and the picture of the church on earth look like and with Christ reigning over all. And so that's what you're seeing in this. So the book of Revelation is not for the unbeliever, right? Well, you know, the scripture uh, is, is hidden to them. Uh, and so as the Lord gives the, the faith and reveals by the Holy Spirit um, to understand that Christ is, is the center and the subject of Scripture, um, then we can understand that the book of Revelation for the Christian uh, is opened up. It becomes less intimidating as we focus on the cross of Christ being at the very center of it. And so you're going to see that um, throughout this outline here. So as we look through this, um, there's kind of like uh, what you're going to see uh, a, a beautiful like hymn kind of spread throughout the midst of these things. So uh, we have the interlude for the exaltation, uh, right? Christ seated above in glory. Then you have the seven seals, the church protected, then the seven trumpets, uh, the interlude, God's mission. Then you have the cosmic war in the new exodus. That's where Michael and the dragon are, are fighting the devil. Um, and then he gets cast down. The seven bulls, then you have the fall of Babylon, the celebration and final judgment, the new heaven and the new earth, and then finally the conclusion in the epilogue. Um, there's an alternative way of looking at this that you might see down there. I'll, I'll magnify that real quick for you. Uh, the alternative outline is uh, the quarters. Uh, might be found at each of the instances where John uh, says he's in the spirit. Um, or halves between the mediation of Christ and the mediation of the angels. So for part of this revelation, it's Jesus speaking to John. And then for the other part of it, it's Jesus speaking to the angel, speaking to John. So that's split up in halves. Um, but so the church is always, again, as you're going to see here in the introduction, uh, the church is always a conqueror always victorious. There's not anything that the church has to fear, which is why we can, as Christians, approach the text of Revelation, again, without fear. So let's go over, um, we're going to go over the diagram here of millennial views. Get my pointer out here. Let's see if I can do both at the same time. No. Well, that's unfortunate. Leave it to Microsoft. Okay. So, uh, hold on one second. Actually, I got a question here. No? Okay. So, for over here, um, looking at the diagram of millennial views. So, this is the millennial view of the Left Behind series that I was talking to you about, which is um, a fairly popular view, or at least it was a popular view. It's basically a, a very linear, literal um, reading of Revelation. So some of you would say, well, isn't that how we as Christians read the Bible? We read it as being literal. Yes, we do. And we also look at what, um, what literary, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
literary genre it is as well, right? So Revelation is not written as a direct history book. It is written as a revelation, a vision. It is symbolic in a lot of, in a lot of what it's saying. Uh, and so we have to remember that we are using not just Revelation as an isolated book and saying that Revelation is and stands by itself without anything else or the counsel of Scripture. Remember, we're saying it's, you have to read Revelation through the Gospels. Okay, so we have to look at everything else that has been written to understand the book of Revelation. If you take it isolated, then you'll probably get something that looks like this. So this, uh, this view um, looks at the church age. Uh, so you have after the death and resurrection of Christ, you have the age of the church. Then you're going to have this secret return of Christ where he's not going to be visible. Okay, it's this invisible coming of Christ. And then he, um, he resurrects the just, and that's the rapture. So the, uh, that's where they're, they're taken up. Um, if you look at where that's actually taken from in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, when it, talks about, uh, when it talks about the rapture, I think I said this last time, the rapture is not the, um, the believers. The rapture, actually, when they're taking people, is the unbelievers, uh, when it's actually talked about. I don't think the rapture is actually talked about um, like that in the book of Revelation. So anyway, so that uh, whole entire thing there with the rapture uh, doesn't really quite match up, but they keep it in there anyway. Um, then you have uh, a, a literal seven years of tribulation. Then you have this Armageddon, which you've probably seen the movie on, right? Who's, who's in that? Bruce Willis, right? Or is that another one? Oh, among others, yeah. Armageddon. Woo! Uh, okay, then you have the visible return of Christ, and that's when you have the, the text, oh, he'll separate the sheep from the goats, the, the believers from the unbelievers. Then you have a literal 1,000 years. So this is the millennia, right? This is a 1,000-year um, reign uh, where it's going to be... Um, a peaceful time. And then you have Satan's little season where he's going to turn some people away. Then you have the resurrection of the unjust and the right, the white throne of judgment. Okay. So a very complex, complicated view that takes a lot of liberties to try and explain it. All right. So going on here, um, this is a little bit of a, a simpler version, historic premillennialism. Uh, again, you have the second ad, advent, the resurrection of Christ. Then you have a literal thousand years. Uh, Satan's little season and the resurrection. Um, uh, Post-millennialism, again, the age of the church, a literal thousand years here. Uh, Then Satan's little season where he turns more away. Then you have the universal resurrection, the rapture, and the universal judgment. Okay, so all of these have in mind... um, Oh, this one's kind of funny, though. Postmillennialism believes that there's actually going to be like some utopian uh, where the world is going to be led by the church. And then it's all going to be beautiful um, and it's going to be a great time. Okay, so let's get down to the one that we actually believe. We believe in what is called amillennialism or um, I like to call it because that's what they I thought would made the most sense to me in the seminary. It's called inaugurated eschatology. Um, the way I, I remember that is like, what is an inauguration? 
this. We talked about this just briefly. What happens at an inauguration? Yeah, you're sworn in. It begins, right? That's the time that it's set. It begins that person's swearing in, then their rule begins, right? So we talked about how the book of Revelation has to be seen through the Gospels, um, specifically seen through the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? So if we're talking about inaugurated eschatology, when do the end times begin? Uh, It begins right here, right at the cross. Um, I mean, Jesus talks about his disciples having tribulation. He talks about the persecution of the church. When does that actually start happening? Boom, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, you have the 40 days, then you have Pentecost, uh, or the, then you have the, the 50 days after, then you have Pentecost, right? And then the church begins, and as they're, they're set about, they have persecution. The disciples, then apostles, are now apostles, um, they're, they're martyred, right? John is exiled on the island of Patmos, and the church has suffered ever since, right? This is the end times. We live in the end times. Um, so it's been inaugurated. Um, amillennialism uh, just means this is like a negate uh, in, a, in the language. It, it negates it. So it means like when people say, oh, you're an amillennialist, it means you don't believe in the literal thousand years, not a literal 1,000 year reign of the church or um, anything along those lines. So what, which is why I, I prefer saying like an inaugurated eschatology um, the eschaton meaning the end, uh, so the beginning of the end, right? So going on on, on this is what, what we hold to here. And by the way, if any of you would like a, a detailed outline of how this is spoken of in the scriptures, I have that. And you can read through the scripture passages in a more condensed fashion. And I'll be happy to print that off if people are interested in it. Okay, at least one. Anybody else interested? Two. Anybody three? Okay, I'll I'll print some off for next time, and we'll uh, you can go through those. Can you scroll where you are now? Uh, and I I can't. Unfortunately, I can't. It doesn't it doesn't like going beyond. I don't think I can. Yeah, hold on here. See if I can do anything. Well, that's okay. I've just moved me. No, it's just the, uh, my computer is lovely. Yeah, I don't know. That's the best I can do. Okay, okay so anyway then. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to ask. Would you like the slides printed off? Would that be helpful to you? Yeah, okay. I thought about doing that. I got to ask permission from the author, but uh, if, he's, if he's down with it, I'll, I'll print them off for you. So then you have this, um, not a literal thousand years, but a thousand years, which is 10 times 10 times 10, okay? 10 being the divine number and three versions of 10, 10, 10, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian. Okay, then after, during that thousand years, you have Satan's little season, which is this intense time where uh, Satan gets uh, this, this little bit of freedom to turn, to try to turn those away from the Lord. And then at the end there you have um, Christ's second advent. So 
There is no invisible coming of Christ uh, secretly. Uh, when Christ comes again, it will be visibly, all the world will see, nations will bow down, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Uh, that's the universal resurrection. The resurrection uh, of judgment, those resurrection, resurrected to eternal life, those uh, to eternal death. And at that, uh, after that there, you have then the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Um, what, I, what we had talked about just uh, last time, we had this picture from uh, Durer, which was uh, the boiling of John the Baptist. By the king at the time, um, they tried boiling him. I guess Irenaeus writes this, uh, that he tried boiling him, but he couldn't be boiled alive, so he gets up and walks away after that. Um, all right, going on. Was there any other questions about that? I shouldn't move on, I guess. Is there any other questions about the outline or the views on the end time? The new creation. So God says that he shall create all things new. So there will be new heavens, and then there will be a new earth. So in the Bible, there's listed as there are three heavens. St. Paul talks about this. He was taken up into the third heaven. Well, he says he knows a guy, but we all know he's talking about himself. Come on, Paul. Not that. Come on. All right. But so there's, there's three heavens. So um, going through these three heavens... The first heaven is the heaven that you can see, the one that the birds fly in, right? Okay, so that's the first heaven where the clouds and the birds and all of that. The second heaven, take a guess, what's beyond the sky? Yeah, the universe, yeah, outer space, where all the stars are and where all the planets exist around the sun and the galaxies and all that. That's the second heaven. So then take a guess where the third heaven is, the only one we haven't talked about. The place where God's glory dwells, God's habitation. Um, it is the, the heaven of heavens. So when you hear those phrases, the heaven of heavens, or like uh, uh, the, um, the place where God dwells, that's talking about the third heaven. It's outside of time and space. But the heavens that we have, we have the heavens of the, the, where the birds are, and we have the heavens uh, where are the stars dwell. Yes. Is that the, I I've said that here before, but maybe, maybe not all of you have, have heard that before. So when God says he's going to make the new heavens and the new earth, right, all creation will be uh, renewed and all creation waits for that. So everything that God has made has been uh, corrupted by our sin, right? The, the, the ground is cursed uh, because of sin, uh, all the animals, all the creatures, everything is cursed because of our sin. And God says... Right, that he will make it all new. And so like, think about, you know, even in Isaiah where it says the lion and the lamb shall dwell together, right? And the child will play over the, the, adder's, the adder's den or the hole, uh, right? So he'll play with, the child can play with snakes, which is not something you typically let your children do, um, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, and they talk about how the animals will, will be grazing and they were not going to be eating each other, um, Looking forward to steaks. Best steak ever. Oh, we'll have to wait and see. Might be a leafy meal. But anyway, all of, all of heaven 
Um, well, I guess, I guess, again, Isaiah says it'll be a rich food with well-aged wine and uh, um, the choicest of marrow, which comes from bones. So maybe God has a special, special meat for us. One can hope, one can hope. Um, all right, but everything is made new. What is, what is mortal puts on immortality. So your body shall be remade to be as Christ's glorified body. Um, talked about, you know, knowing one another, like you're not going to lose your personality and become like a robot, right? You, you'll have a beautiful singing voice, uh, enjoying the choir, choir of, 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 of God and the angels, um, those sorts of things. Anything else on that? Oh, okay. Moving on. We're getting to the text now. All right. So, um, The prologue, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his slaves the things which must happen in swiftness. Um, Remember, apocalypsis is the word, the first word here um, in Greek, and that's what gets the the book its title. Uh, Apocalypsis means revelation. Uh, it also, it's where we get our word apocalypse from. This refers to Jesus' second visible coming. Um, and so we have the scripture passages there from Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter that talk about that. Um, okay, so the word here, um, slaves, doulos, uh, sometimes you'll see that translated as servants. Um, most traditionally, it, it was the word slaves. Again, though, a little bit different. Um, than what you might think about when you uh, have that connotation of slavery. So, uh, going on here. And he signified these things, having sent his angel to his slave John, who witnessed to the word of God and to the witness of Jesus Christ as much as he saw. Blessed is the one publicly reading and those hearing the words of this prophecy and cherishing the things written in it, for the season is near. Okay, so here we find that God has given this word, um, the, uh, the Father has given this word to the Son, Jesus, who then gives it uh, to John, uh, or also through an angel, uh, to John. So, when you think about um, this word here, uh, what we talked about being uh, slaves, we think about what Jesus has done for us. So if you see up here, right, we, we even confess this in the second article of the creed, that Jesus has bought and prayed, paid for us, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. So we are bought at a price. Um, we are, what, when you hear the word uh, that you are the ransomed ones, what, what is ransom? If, if somebody puts a ransom uh, out for you, what is it you have? You have a price on you, right? So um, in order to be released, there was a price. Uh, so when we talk about, uh, you know, your forgiveness of sins is free, right? It's free in, in terms of you haven't had to do anything for it, but it wasn't free uh, in the sake that Jesus had to, in fact, give a perfect life and a sacrificial death. So we are bought at a price. Um, from there also... Um, Oh, we'll get on to that one here in a minute. 
when we look at the signs, um, we're going up here to this note. So there's a necessity to what must happen swiftly. In fact, the signs of the end times have already begun. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24 here briefly. And we're going to look at um, some of what has been written. Remember I said Matthew 24 is often uh, hard for people to read because it's mixed into the signs of the end time is also the destruction of Jerusalem, which happens in AD 70. So Matthew 24, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear the wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed to this for this must take place, but the end is not yet for the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so when you're looking and when we're talking about the end of times, uh, do we have nations raging against nations? Yes. Do we have earthquakes and tsunamis and all this other sorts of destruction? Right. Um, Oftentimes the earth is referred to as like a woman in the pains of childbirth. Right. It's groaning. So when you hear the rumbling and the shaking and things like that, think about being in labor. Uh, men are probably going to have a harder time with that, but it's painful, right? It's, it's incredibly painful. Uh, and that's what's being referred to here. The whole earth is, is waiting for the redemption of our bodies. That is the end day when Christ returns in glory. But these signs have already begun. Again, another uh, reason for us to believe that we are in fact already living in the end times. These, this, thousand years is already began uh, begun at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Um, also, we learn here that John is a foundational apostolic witness. Um, so whatever John is, is saying here, he is bearing witness. He is a, um, uh, what the Greek word is martyrio. Uh, so he is a, like a martyr for the, the gospel. He is uh, willing and putting his life um, out there in order that this be uh, shared. So what does it mean that we cherish the word of God? Um, when we are talking about the uh, word of God here, blessed is the one publicly reading and those hearing the words of this prophecy and cherishing the things written in it for the season is near. Cherishing doesn't just mean loving, right? We think more back to what we said at our confirmation or when we transferred into the church, uh, the same words are spoken there, that we love the word of God and will gladly hear it and learn it, truthfully, above all things, 
that we are even willing to give up everything in order that the word of God might remain among us, uh, including our lives. Uh, and so because we believe that the word of God is in fact God's word, not just this uh, petty word of man, it is in fact the words that God would have us to know and to receive in our hearts. So cherishing this is uh, a big deal. So we are not to give up these words or give up any bit of it. Um, hey, Gerald, come on in. So the blessing of the participation of the heavenly banquet through faith is pronounced over the pastor and the congregation at the public reading of the scripture. So if we want to, um, let's open to John chapter 14 here, verses 15 through 24. All right, John 14, 15 through 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest my, myself to him. Judas, is, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So this cherishing also is um, a, def- a keeping of the word, a defending of the word, a guarding of it. Um, it is letting the word of God, um, in fact, change who you are, change your heart. Uh, to turn it around um, from desiring the things uh, that your body and your flesh might desire, but are contrary to what God's will is, um, or even his law. So when we're talking about this, think about at the very end of Matthew's gospel, where he says, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Right? God is with us in and through this word of God. And God sends us the Holy Spirit, whom, uh, when he comes into us, brings us to remember this blessed word. He causes that word to live in our hearts. And from that word, we draw our strength, our defense, our hope and consolation, our sure confidence, truthfully, in um, our salvation. Okay, so here, let's go on. Um, so John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Real quick, we'll, I'll blow it up for you a little bit here. Okay, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from the one who is and who was and who is coming 
and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the witness, the faithful one, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So let's stop there. So we're talking about the seven churches in Asia. Where is Asia located? Not China, right? The Asia here. It's like Turkey, right? The place that we just, we just saw um, looped around in that. Okay, um, so what are the seven spirits? Those are the angels, okay? There are seven angels over these churches or kind of like assigned to these churches. Um, and they are before his throne, right? We know that the angels stand before the throne of God uh, and are with God uh, in his glory. And from Jesus Christ, the witness, the faithful one, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, right? So again, we are talking about Christ's exaltation, that he is, in fact, this is a picture of God's glory, what is happening right now, um, even while the church on earth lives. Uh, And so we see that um, perfectly right there. So the frums denote the trinity, for the seven spirits must be from someone equal in majesty to the Father and the Son. It refers to the source of the seven spiritual gifts, which we see from Isaiah 11, 2-3, and the omniscience of God. Uh, for the firstborn of the dead, uh, we see Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, and Colossians 1. Um, so there we have, like, first to break the, the chains of death and, uh, and the grave to overcome that. So how many froms do we have here? One, two, three. Um, Father, Son, Spirit again. So going on to here. To the one loving us and releasing us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Yes, amen. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is coming, the Almighty. Uh, so, backing up here just a bit, let me magnify this here. So, again, reading this through the Gospels, okay? So, love... What is love? Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us, right? Love is defined by the forgiveness through Jesus' blood. Everything that we are going to talk about is going to make Revelation read through the Gospels. So love is defined by what God has said love is, which is Christ's sacrificial nature, his love for us. And that is the foundation for every one of our gifts. So, um, to the end that every believer may approach God absent mediation as a priest. So, remember what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus in the Holy of Holies. Or outside the Holy of Holies. What? Yeah, the curtain was torn in two, right? From the bottom to the top? No. From the top to the bottom. So who tore the curtain? God tore the curtain, right? He opened the Holy of Holies. If you read in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus entered the Holy of Holies, not by the blood of bulls and goats, like the high priest would do once a year, but by his own precious blood. 
and he entered it once for all. And so he opened access to the Father for all of us. So when you hear me say, like, you are now at peace with the Father, that's what what I mean. When we talk about that we are reconciled to God, brought back together to God, it means that you can approach the throne of grace without fear because you have been made a child of God by your holy baptism. And so we have this, um, this gift of God to, in fact, uh, be near to God as, uh, as if we are his own children, asking of him anything because he loves us. Uh, and so just as the priest would be able to approach God, um, so too can we approach God by the blood of Jesus. Talking about the Alpha and Omega, since we're right here on the bottom here, the Alpha and Omega refers to the Father's eternal, uh, eternal, eternality. Eternal. Um, but basically, he's from the eternity with his only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, you'll see that sometimes the angel of the Lord, or the angel of God, comes to speak with the people. Um, angel there, it, it really, angel just means messenger. Uh, sometimes there's these created beings that we call angels, like the seraphim and the cherubim, um, the archangels, like Michael and Gabriel, um, and I guess Raphael, if you're, if you're in the, the, the Apocrypha. So these angels, though, are servants of God. They deliver a message from God, not their own message. Uh, they're sent oftentimes to defend Uh, the people of God throughout the Old Testament. But there is the angel of the Lord that is uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning it is Christ, um, it is the one who was to come uh, in the flesh, in the body. And every time that we talk about the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament there, we're we're not talking about his... um, or sorry, we, we, are, we are granting that obviously he is from eternity, from beginning to end, just as with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, let me see if there's anything else here. I think that's it. Any questions on this slide then so far? Backing out here real quick. Alpha and Omega. Is it referring to the Father or Jesus? To the Father. But but it's to the Father with the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Jesus, as in the second person of the Trinity in the flesh, has a a beginning time. In fact, that, that he took on flesh in zero, right? Or like right around one or two. Right, A.D. Uh, or, yeah. But then when we're talking about um, the Father, the Father, you know, in fact, as Alpha and Omega, has no beginning in the flesh. Right? That's his only begotten Son. But the Son also existed from eternity as the pre-incarnate Christ. So God is one God, not multiple gods. It's a very complex nature of the Trinity. Right, But the Son was able to enter time and yet also not be captured by time. In fact, because he ascends in the body. He takes what he always was, but now he takes it back as being a man. Right, So man has ascended into heaven, 
and sits at the right hand of God in the person of Christ. So, right, God didn't, God didn't have a body, right? He's, he's a spiritual being, the invisible God, right? But then in Jesus, he takes on a body. He assumes the, the human flesh into his divinity. I'm not going to Nobody does. Nobody understands the Trinity. I mean, if you say to me that you understand the Trinity, I'm going to say liar, right? I mean, it's just nobody does. It is beyond our our reasoning. It doesn't make sense. And yet we don't try and make sense of it. Instead, we just confess what the scriptures have, have said, and we can't go any farther than that. So that's about as much as we can say. Okay, but so uh, anything else then from that? All right, going on then. Okay, so here we have um, the prologue. Uh, the picture here, again, of, uh, from Albrecht is uh, there the father standing before the seven, uh, sitting in the seven lamp, uh, lamp stands there. Um, so I, John your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and endurance in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the witness of Jesus. So why was he exiled? Because he spoke the word, right? He was bearing witness to the truth. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What day is the Lord's day? Sunday, right? Yeah, it would be what... Becca doesn't like the eighth day, um, right? So on the seventh day, God rested, which would have been Saturday. And then um, the Lord completed that week, right? In, in uh, Jesus, in his time, uh, right? The Holy Week was that Sunday to the end of the evening Saturday because of the Jewish days, right? They began their um, day evening to evening, And so at the end of Saturday, and then it began Sunday, that evening of Saturday, and rose that Sunday morning, um, early in the morning. Uh, But that would have been the eighth day of that Holy Week. Um, And so eight is typically referred to as like the eternal day, um, or the Lord's Day. Just a little, little bit there. So uh, John was, uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, what you will, what you will see, write in a book and send to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So on account of the word of God refers to the persecution that led to John's exile his brother James, remember, was already uh, had been martyred, and James was the leader in Jerusalem. Um, oh wait, actually, that might no, that was a different James. Yeah, it's the brother of Jesus. Yeah, you're right, Elizabeth. Yeah, I was wrong. Sorry, but anyway, James the apostle was um, was there already martyred. Okay, so being in the Spirit implies that the Spirit is working. Um, as the Lord had said, you'll bring to your remembrance everything that I have written to you. The Spirit will grant you uh, the revelation, right, to understand or to write 
Uh, Jesus said, I have more that I, I can tell you, but you cannot bear it at this time, but the Spirit will um, make it known to you. So there uh, we have that word. So obviously this revelation um, comes from the, the work of God, the word of God. Okay, and so then we have the day of the Lord is the resurrection. So John's, uh, John is to write to the seven churches of Ephesus. We are, are of, of those churches. And I told you that that is going to eventually be shared with the whole Christian church. Um, well, and I guess we're going to have to stop there because it is 945. Uh, basically, we're going to see the, the, um, the seven lampstands are the seven churches and the uh, angels of those churches are going to be the pastors of each of those congregations. So you're going to see that there. Um, again, you have to remember, write this down if you don't already, that angel means messenger. Messenger means one who is speaking uh, on, on behalf of, of God, on, in this case. Eventually, though, we can talk about the fallen angels, which if I, if I ever refer to like the devil's angels... Uh, the messengers of Satan, uh, we usually refer to them as the fallen angels. Still messengers, but of, of their father, the devil, who is a liar and a murderer. But these angels that are talked about here um, are going to be the pastors of the churches. And we'll talk more about that after a little bit. Anything else that you guys have a question before we wrap this all the way up? Okay, well then we'll go ahead and we'll come back to this more and we'll talk about here uh, the stars and the lampstands um, and the angels and the churches uh, going on from there. And we'll see you upstairs.